Thanks everybody for joining us tonight. My name is Steve Jagger. I graduated from Vancouver College in 1996 and I'm the co-president of the Alumni Association along with Mark Reed. The Vancouver College Alumni Association is a member-driven organization aimed at bringing all alumni together. We run a whole bunch of events, the annual alumni golf tournament, there's an Irish Christmas lunch, the hockey game, fishing derby, basketball, there's lots of events. Anybody that's been watching this webinar series knows everything has been canceled for 2020 due to COVID. And instead of not doing anything, um, we decided to move forward with a webinar series as a way to interact with alumni from around the world in different industries and connect with them to learn a little bit more about who they are and what they are working on. Before I introduce our guests, a couple housekeeping items. If you're on Facebook, you can ask questions in the comments. If you're on Zoom, you can ask questions in the chat, and I can uh, ask those questions for you to our guests. Um, a bit of a special announcement. The Mahoney's, Pat Mahoney, um, who owns Uno Gelato, has put together a bit of a program for us. Starting August 1st, any Uno Gelato bought on the Uno Gelato website um, and ship to wherever you live in British Columbia or wherever they, wherever they serve it actually. I think it's British Columbia, or I mean, I think Lower Mainland and the Okanagan area. Uh, $1 of every pint will go to the Vancouver College Alumni Association to support the alumni owned restaurants that we have been supporting through this webinar series. So that program will start August 1st. You can go to unogelato.com and their shop is online and you can make your purchase. And like I said, August 1st, a dollar from every pint ordered online goes to the VC Alumni Association. Um, so let's get started. I want to introduce our guests. Today we have uh, Prabhjit Ball, who graduated in 1996, is the CEO and COO of Lotus Terminal Group of Companies, taking over from his father, the founder. His brother, Ricky, is also joining us, graduated from Vancouver College in 2006, is the in-house counsel and part of the operations team at the Lotus Group of Companies. Lotus Terminals is one of the largest cross-dock freight logistics and trucking companies in Greater Vancouver. So thanks guys, thanks for joining us and uh, welcome to this webinar. Yeah, happy Thank to be you. here. Hello, Steve. yeah. So we've got, well, I've got lots of questions. Uh, we can get into them in a minute. I have no idea what cross-dock means, but maybe we can start at the beginning and get a quick update about you guys and you know, why did you get, you know, how'd you get out of Vancouver College? Why did your parents choose to enroll you there? What was the, the start? What years did you come? Well, I came in uh, grade eight and quite honestly, I didn't even know about Vancouver College till uh, grade, uh, grade seven. I went to uh, St. Joseph's Elementary School with uh, Jan Prezo, Rafi Orlova, Francis Cruz. We were there. We went to uh, VC for a basketball game. And it was an awesome school. And the other guy, they're like, this is amazing. We, this is where we were coming, grade eight. I'm like, well, if you guys are going, that's where I'd like to go to. And that's how I ended up there, pretty much, yeah. What grade, sorry? Grade eight. Grade eight. And then, Ricky, how'd you end up there, following your brother's footsteps? Exactly it, yeah. Um, obviously, VC's got big sports programs. They got all their gear. Prab was always wearing it. and telling me how I didn't have any of it. And all I could think of was going to VC all through elementary school. I was at St. Joseph's as well. Um, I remember on the back of my like little Hillary, Hillary um, 
notebooks. I had a big, uh, I would make big VC signs on them. And I guess eventually everyone realized I want to go to VC. So in grade four, I uh, moved over. Oh, nice. Nice. And so how did you guys, how did you like it? What was your, if you could name a teacher, did you have a, a favorite teacher, a favorite thing that you did at the school? Well, me personally, I had the opportunity of playing football and basketball there. And just being around the teams uh, basically throughout the year, that was an amazing experience. And in terms of teachers, one person who really stands out is uh, Mr. Howie. Uh, his English class was really good. Uh, the way he taught it, it was fun uh, doing uh, Shakespeare stuff. And even uh, for football, the way he coached, uh, it really made me want to play. And uh, we actually, we were going up to a, a game up in Kamloops on my birthday. I'm sitting in the bus and when we pulled over in Hope, he bought a cake for me into the bus, which uh, Nick Brody dropped. But uh, yeah, it was uh, good. So he was uh, really special for me when, while I was at the school. Nice. <laughs> nice. How about you, Ricky? Uh, likewise, um, there's more uh, teachers that I liked there than that I didn't so much, but a couple stand out. One was, um, he was only there for a few years, actually. Uh, um, my grade eight teacher, homeroom teacher, Mr. Clayton, uh, he had, uh, had an accident at a school uh, field trip and we had a substitute come in for most of the year who stayed there, Mr. Dharma Satya. He's at North, uh, he's at Notre Dame now uh, and uh, he was like loved history and he and that's how I really um his love of history like kind of uh, transferred over to all his students and it kind of made it cool to like work really hard at school whereas before like school school but he kind of instilled that passion of learning and history and all that and the other teacher that really stands out for me is uh, Mr. Burke uh, besides being like one of the best football coaches I've ever had and that I try to emulate at least for um like linemen uh, work uh, he just knew young men and he knew um, how to teach them what they, how they had to be taught, how they had to be disciplined and um, maybe some methods which don't work anymore. But um, <laughs> yeah, and he, he really stands out for me. Nice. That's great. And so you guys both played football and basketball? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, both of you. Right. And then so after Vancouver College, you, I believe you both head off to UBC, right? Prob, obviously you went first. Why'd you choose UBC? Uh, quite honestly, because it was down the road. We, we, I would go down King Edward and down Dunbar and I'd be there. And uh, I'd take early classes uh, and I'd be done around noon. It was perfect. <laughs> nice. And did you play sports there? I played football for the, my last couple of years there. Not, oh, but not the first. No, I uh, decided to concentrate on my studies. And uh, after f the first year, actually, Aiden Sullivan, he asked me, let's go play for the Vancouver Trojans. So we went and played for the Vancouver Trojans. And that was some uh, bad football when Steve, you played with us for the one season too. And <laughs> sure from is. there, uh, I just kind of ended up playing for uh, UBC. After the Trojans, nice. Yeah. And then Ricky, you went to UBC as well. What, what did you do there? Or why did you choose UBC? Well, uh, for my first year, I sort of did a kind of like an exchange uh, program through UBC in England at uh, Hurst Monceau Castle. And um, after that, I tried my hardest not to go to UBC, but um, my dad didn't let me go anywhere else. And um, so that's why I went to UBC and I did a classics uh, degree there. I, um, 
my second year there, I uh, uh, was on the football team and um, I stopped playing in, in uh, spring training pretty much because uh, the VC program had spoiled me <laughs> and the experience was so great and the camaraderie was amazing at VC. And then I got to probably not the best time at UBC football. And uh, so I kind of stopped playing at that time. Gotcha. So you guys do your time at UBC Prob. You, you go from UBC and what you ended up at, at Lotus, but did what, what happened between that or did you go straight into the family business? Uh, no, uh, from while I was at UBC and in between there, I, uh, well, your dad, Mr. Jagger, he helped me get a job at Royal Bank. You can call and, him Bruce now, probably. Uh, he's still oh, Mr. Jagger, he still gets the respect. <laughs> uh, so he got, so we went, started working there. And the interesting thing I found there was I'd go there and start working and you, I had to make X amount of calls, which I'd be done by lunch. And after lunch, I'd go make, more and I doubled those calls I had people coming up to me stop doing that you're making us look bad like yeah but I'm just sitting here working and they're like no and I'm, so I'm like if I'm done by lunch can I leave yeah just leave and for me it was just dull and I couldn't do it it, it, it wasn't a challenge uh, people just the whole concept of people not wanting to push forward it uh, it didn't work for me this is the collection division Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I spent some, uh, spent some good time in, uh, in the debt collection in my early days, as you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. And so you go from Royal Bank debt collection. Where, where do you go after that? Uh, I was just kind of bored around the house. And my dad said, why don't you come to the office? So uh, I started going there just every summer in between for like from elementary school forever. I used to go to the office and during the summer, do some work, just hang out. And I went with the same attitude there. And one day I showed up around 10 o'clock, rolled in, and my dad pretty much kicked me out of the office. And he said, if you can't be here for seven, don't bother coming. And he yelled at me in front of everybody. And I've been going in uh, at seven or earlier since then. <laughs> nice work. <laughs> and so to, to tie this together, you do your time at Royal Bank, your dad convinces you or gets you to start uh, going to work at Lotus. Um, you, you're now CEO, COO. When, Ricky, when did you, maybe can you bring it together for us? When did you get to, to, to the Lotus world? What, what did you do prior to that? And then how did you get there? And then we can talk a little bit about, you know, what, what's going on at the, in, in, in Lotus. Yeah, I, um, I went to a law school at UBC, uh, finished up there, uh, and um, I was involved in some uh, cl clinic uh, programs at UBC, and then uh, I uh, articled and practiced in uh, criminal defense work for just under five years, and um, sort of, I always knew what's happening in the family business. It is a family business. They were expanding exponentially. Um, we were building our first uh, commercial building for housing our uh, headquarters, and um, I sort of felt like it was a time to um, make the transition. I always knew in the back of my head, somehow I would be in, this, in, uh, in our uh, company here. I just didn't know when. Um, and that it was just, it just sort of happened. It was just, uh, um, just a discussion with my dad being like, oh yeah, we can use some help with some construction, maybe just be with us for a year. And now a few years later, I'm, uh, I'm still here. <laughs> You're fully engaged in the business. Yeah. 
All right, so the two of you are working together at Lotus. Maybe let's, let's start at the beginning because I've got obviously a lot of questions because I don't know a lot about cross-docking, logistics, trucking. But maybe start at the beginning. The company's called Lotus. What, where, does the, where does the name come from? Uh, so my dad had uh, a different company and we evolved. There were some partners involved. We got some rid of some uh, partners. And actually, I was in London, England at the time, sitting on top of a double-decker bus with my wife and talking to my dad on my, cell, on my cell phone. And we were trying to come up with a company name. And in front of the bus, there was a blue Lotus car. And I said, how about Lotus? And that's where Lotus came from. Nice. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay. Yeah. And so what was the, the origin story of the business? How did your dad get into like why why trucking how did that how did that start where did the business come from how did that all begin actually uh, it goes way back to my grandfather my grandfather in india he had a taxi company so my grandfather drove a cab owned the company and while my dad was in india he would drive a cab and he came over when he was into canada when he was 18 years old he had uh, various jobs picking apples, driving cab, working in uh, parking lots. Uh, then he started driving a truck because one of his friends drove a truck and he bought his own truck and he bought another truck. And then time came, he had enough work to get a third truck and he had to come into the office a little bit. So he formed the company and basically it was one man, one truck. And we've been working since. Oh, that's awesome. And so what, what year did that start when he, when he got into that? Like actually he, set up the corporation to get in the trucking business? 1980. 1980. Wow. Cool. And so when you guys were at school and at VC and university, was there always pressure from the parents to be in the business, family business, or was that the opposite? No, opposite. It was, um, my mom said, don't go near trucking. Even when I would go there in the summer, she would, nope, don't go there. Even my dad was not, didn't want me around trucking. Uh, but here we are. Same for you, Ricky. Just no, not, don't be around it. Don't. Oh, absolutely. And um, 100%, my mom would be, don't go near trucking. Even my dad would be, same thing, don't go near trucking. But I guess, um, there's always a feeling that he built something and we need to continue it on because the struggle when he had started, when he came in the early 70s and um, actually the whole driving tradition in my family started even before my grandfather's taxi company. He was in the Second World War in um, Africa in the British Indian Army driving as a soldier um, in uh, Montgomery's uh, army there. And uh, then he was a driver for the, um, I believe it was the American ambassador in India, he was a driver for them, and then it slowly started. So just kind of continuing the tradition. There's always this calling that we're supposed to do it, even though we're being told not to do it. We're supposed to do it. Great, that's awesome. And so you guys decide to step into the business. And what was the business when your dad was running it? It was a bunch of trucks and truck drivers moving freight around the city or around Lower Mainland or into the U.S. Like, what, what did the business look like, and what did it do? Before you, before you guys got involved? So when I came in, we had about 15 trucks and we were an intermodal carrier. 
So by intermodal carrier means uh, we are one cog of the big uh, big picture. So contain containers arrive by train. We pick them up by train, take them to destination, or we load here, put them on the train, then the train takes them somewhere out east. Another trucking company grabs it from there. So we were an intermodal company servicing uh, lower the lower mainland and uh, working off the Seattle ramps up as well, coming into uh, the lower mainland. And so before we move to what it is today, how how does that how does that work when uh, containers coming on a train, how do you get the contract? Is the contract given to you in the Vancouver end, the same contract that's given to the person on the East, East coast end? Like how, how so, does it, do you fight for the, for the deal? How does it, how does that all play out? So there are uh, something called intermodal marketing companies. Basically they're uh, people sitting in offices throughout mostly the U S and they're the ones with the railroad contracts and they're the ones who uh, hire us. So if you had something to move, you would go to this intermodal marketing company that I want to move something from Chicago to Vancouver. They would hire the carrier in Chicago to take it to the rail there. They would uh, hire the rail, pay for the rail to get it up here, and then hire us to deliver it on uh, this side. And in terms of, yeah, there's a lot of competition where uh, we're submitting rates uh, yearly to our various customers. and uh, every year we try to win the business. And so that, that intermodal company, if someone's trying to move product from A to B, that intermodal company deals with, they negotiate, they, they get it from A to B and they just figure it out from trucks to trains to whatever. They just make it all happen. Correct. Like cobble together all the different contracts to make it all work. Yes. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so when you guys got into the business, that's what Lotus was. And then what is it now? I'll let Ricky. <laughs> well, b before sort of I got involved, Prab uh, expanded the 15 trucks to about, I would say just under a hundred trucks and um, with a couple hundred uh, trailers and whatnot. So it exponential growth. And um, then there was sort of a ceiling in this type of business. And when I came, I was involved in the construction of our uh, office and our terminal there. And after that was all done, I was, um, there's nothing for me to do there anymore. And um, I felt like a big, I need to do something. I just wound down a full law practice. I was a full functioning lawyer. I need to do something. I can't do office work. I was a criminal defense lawyer. I was never in my office. I can't sit down. Even right now is pretty tough. And um, growing up, when I used to go to the office every single weekend with my dad, and I would be in the yard or be in the truck shop. And I just love machines. And so this sort of evolved into, um, we're, we're calling it crosstalk, but it's mostly freight handling, a freight handling business. So what we started to do was um, freight, chain, like if, if um, let's say a, a larger CNC machine comes from China. What's or, a CNC machine? A machine that works on a metal for example, like that bends metal or anything, just a big widget, okay. 2,000 pounds, whatever it is. Um, it comes from overseas and it needs to get to Ontario. It comes to the Vancouver ports and it comes in a type of trailer which is meant for a ship. That needs to then be picked up, brought somewhere, and the actual machine then needs to be picked up and put on a type of trailer that can be taken to Ontario and over the road trailer. So 
you need forklifts or whatever it is to do that. We started getting into that business and I've been driving a forklift since probably too young, four years old. And that's sort of, that's, uh, we got into the freight handling business. We just had a small forklift. We can pick up a couple thousand pounds. So let's say a pallet of um, uh, paper gloves or paper bags comes. We take them out of an ocean container, put them into an over the road container. And that sort of morphed into our freight logistics business. Well, customers are asking us, can you take it all the way to Ontario? On our own assets, on our own trucks, they stay in the lower mainland, BC and Washington, a little bit into uh, Tacoma, uh, Portland, Oregon. And um, so then we start becoming the middleman and hiring those type of trucking companies to take it from our warehouse and take it the final mile from Vancouver to Ontario. So that sort of started developing. It was just sort of, I was doing, say, like with Prabs and everyone's help, we were doing, I was doing sales, operations, invoicing. Again, I'm on a computer, but whatever. And um, that should started to expand. We started getting bigger lifting equipment. Uh, we can start doing 30, 40, 50,000 pounds. So from a simple couple thousand pound pallet, now we can, we can almost lift anything at our terminal. And we've got about, Right now, it's about a 10-person staff. We've been, about at, we've been at it for about two years. We've got staff of 10. And uh, basically, when something comes anywhere in North America, if it needs to move from Florida to Alaska, we can handle it. If, it, if there's a 75,000-pound um, bulldozer that gets made overseas, gets brought in over a ship, we can bring it to our facility pick it up, put it on a over the road trailer and take it down to Florida. We hire a company to take it down to Florida and we put it on their trailer and we monitor it on the way uh, down to Florida. And so we've sort of become this freight logistics, freight management company, a freight handling company and Crosstalk is a part of uh, freight handling. That's interesting. And so this massive, whatever it is, bulldozer comes in on a ship the crosstalk part is when you're taking it out of whatever it was in the ship and transferring. That's the crosstalk piece of the, of the deal. And then you said, if it's going to Florida, is that trucking company coming up into Vancouver or are you guys meeting them at the border or do they, they come all the way up, get it themselves and they, take it? They, they come up to our terminal where we have all our lifting equipment and everything. We put it on their trailer off the ocean vessel trailer, like a regular ocean container, whatever it is. And then they take it from our yard to the final destination. Gotcha. And so you got into that. Why? Because it's, if there's more value in that part of the, the business than being the, the, the truck that just moves it. Like the actual crosstalk business is the, is a higher up on the value chain. Yeah. Well, yeah. My, Go ahead. Well, my, my biggest issue was with a uh, trucking with actually asset based moving freight around. Anybody can open a trucking company. You could go tomorrow uh, you can actually look online right now and within a couple of hours, you can have your licenses to own a trucking company and start one. And that's what people were doing. We're uh, just starting uh, trucking companies and we were competing with people who did not have any facilities. They just owned a truck and them and their cousins started a company and we were competing with them. So what could we do where we could use our brains and grow? So this is where we ended up that some guy 
working out of his backyard cannot do all this. And that's how we end up getting into this because we need to do more. And this is the kind of stuff that somebody can just wake up one morning and decide to do. Got it. And so when you, this crosstalk part of the business, when, when you're picking up these super heavy things, is it those big things on wheels that can pick it up or is it just massive forklift? How do you move it? Uh, we've got um, we've got large forklifts. We have cranes at our facility, and um, between those two, um, that's how we pick most of the things up. And so, when you get into that, do you do you start with a, a certain weight limit of like, okay, we're going to buy the right uh, machines to pick up this weight, and then once you're successful and you're good, you you buy the next larger machine, or how do you keep scaling up to to be able to take heavier and heavier stuff? Ours was uh, organic growth. Um, many companies, like it's just, they're just different markets. Like um, you can have the smallest forklift you can buy and um, you can have a hundred of them and just do high volume type of work. Um, it's kind of, it's a bit more of a brainless type uh, uh, business. You just, as many as you can pallet, like regular pallets that you see in Costco, just move them from an ocean container into a trailer that's going to Costco. Just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of days. So you can, you can build your business on that. Um, we were more interested into the more niche markets, the bigger things, the way you actually have to use your brain uh, more, like you have to be creative and innovative. And um, that's sort of why we scaled to a heavier, instead of going volume, we started going more niche and specialized at work rather than volume. Gotcha. And so like, what are the, what are the big challenges outside of COVID? I think we'll talk about that in a minute, but Pre-COVID, what, what were the big challenges or what are the big challenges in this freight logistics trucking world? What, you know? the, I'll, I'll actually start, I'll start with that, the freight logistics world and freight handling. Um, honestly, in the, in the freight handling world, it's just um, uh, meeting the demands of customers. Everyone wants their stuff prioritized and done first. But when you're picking something up, which is, doesn't even fit on barely fits on city streets and weighs tons and tons of weight you got to do it slowly and properly and it's just managing expectations um in freight logistics in uh, another part of freight logistics is when you hire outside carriers to for example take it from our yard to florida you got to keep track of them we got to tell our customers a couple times a day okay your truck's in uh, seattle okay it's got to portland the missing link is when the company that we've hired stops responding to us. And we're like, oh my God, we have a million dollar product and we don't really know where it is. Eventually they come back to us being like, oh, our truck was, um, whatever the reason may be, it was in a no service area. We couldn't tell you whatever it is. That's sort of the challenges of freight logistics and handling in particular. And Prab was about to say, just generally in transportation, what are the challenges? In general, in transportation, uh, basically it starts from the truckers. Nobody leaves high school saying, I'm going to go be a truck driver. Uh, it just doesn't happen. And so we end up with an uh, interesting kind of uh, individual who becomes a truck driver. They're usually miserable that they're a truck driver, uh, even though they're making great money, but still because we, it's been put into our heads that being a truck driver, eh, it's not that great. So they're miserable. 
and society basically sort of I, I shouldn't say dictates but it, at least from my experience it's not very high on the totem pole a truck driver it's not a really um something that you it's a prestigious role you're right yeah so we end up with these guys and literally we we when i was younger and started i was in situations where it was a physical fight would break out because things weren't happening and even as uh, recent as a couple of years ago i let one of the truck drivers go and he brought two three guys into the office because he wanted to fight and that's the kind of people we're dealing with and uh, it's not getting any better. That's, uh, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> um, yeah, and so is there, I've got a couple of questions on this, but trucking's the largest employer, I believe, in the United States. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's up there, or if not, number one. Is it not? Do you know? Yeah, you, well, United States, it's, there's a different kind of trucker down there. Uh, there you have the stereotypical guy wearing his uh, cowboy hat, big belt buckle, cowboy boots, walking around the truck stops. Uh, they're proud to be a trucker. They take care of their truck. They're, they like the chrome on their truck. They buy the t-shirts. If you ever are down south in, in uh, the U.S., if you go to a, a truck stop, you'll see all this interesting people walking around their you their walls are full of belt buckles they're proud of what they're doing up in canada uh i'm sure you've looked into trucks and seen what kind of guys are driving uh it's yeah it's a big employer but uh, people aren't happy they don't want to do it but they're stuck doing it because they make good money doing which it does, which doesn't make sense Gotcha. That's interesting that it's different uh, perspective of it over the border. Um, all right. So we'll, we'll, I think we're going to, we'll come back to that in a sec. Maybe can I sort of switch gears for a sec? Can you explain how, how does the, how does the revenue work? Like, how do you make money? Is it based on the weight of the item you're moving at the cross dock, the distance the truck has to go, if they sit in traffic, if there's tolls, like how, how does that all get, sort it out it's a big combination of everything uh there's truckers who get paid by the mile uh by the hour uh and there's even out there who get paid by the weight when they're picking up scrap and gravel they get paid by how much weight they've picked up uh in terms of uh, traffic and all customers do not pay for any if there's too much traffic they're not going to pay if uh, we're crossing the border and there's a four-hour lineup too bad I was just uh, going to say, so if there's, if there's a big lineup at the border, that gen most likely is that trucker is losing money because of it. It's not like he or she is going to get paid more because of the delay. They're, okay. they're actually like actively losing money. So us as a company, we will not get paid more. But as an employer, we can make a deal with our guys that if you have to wait more than two hours, we'll pay you extra. We'll pay you extra. That's very, it's very interesting. Um, and so I want to switch over to the COVID thing, but before I do that, what, what are the, what are the things that people like me or everyday citizens don't like, don't know about the trucking business? Um, some of the examples I can think of are like, and Ricky kind of mentioned it. If you bring something that doesn't necessarily fit on a city road, like how does that, how does that work? If you have to take down power lines, 
Well, I got an interesting story. We picked up this, uh, we were hired to pick up this huge piece from uh, Freddy Surrey Docks in uh, Surrey. So we had all the surveys done. The river road there was wide enough to handle it. Uh, the police wasn't, we had police escort. Yeah, so, so just to sort of fill in the blanks a bit, um, as a part of our expanding freight handling and whatnot, getting into more niche markets, we started actually trucking on our own assets locally in Lower Mainland, big, big things, which need specialized drivers, specialized equipment and all that. And if it gets really big, you need engineers reports. You, you have a pilot car that drive in front of you in the back of you, if it gets really big, you have hydro lines that need to get moved. You've got uh, the police escort you along the way. And you coordinate all of that? Or is that you bring in a consultant that coordinates that for you? Or is that all done? You guys do all that? That's us. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, well, quite honestly, we have Ricky. So Ricky can handle all that stuff because uh, he's just not some guy out of school who uh, joined trucking like me. He's actually a professional. So he can uh, make all that happen for us. <laughs> That's so um <laughs> prob so if if you're moving something massive and you think or you know that you have to move power lines is someone literally driving the route in advance to figure out what lines where and yeah so and give an accurate quote of like all right these 46 lines need to be moved this bus cable needs to be moved all that stuff happens in advance that you add that into the quote and then send it off yeah, so we add that into a quote, we send it off, and we've, we've hired professionals. So in this uh, one scenario I was uh, talking about, uh, it was a huge piece. It was happening in the middle of the night. And I get a call about 2 a.m. from my driver that uh, they measured River Road, and everything was great, except they didn't account for the bus stops. And the police like escort the with like them. the physical metal shelter. The shelter. Yeah. So, and he said that the police officer is just waving me through. So long story short, we went down river road, knocking over every single uh, bus stop in the West. <laughs> but what could you do? This piece had to move and we only had a certain amount of time. And so how does that, how does that work? Insurance picks up the, the slack or? Yeah, we went after the surveyor and all that and after the city and actually nothing ever came of it. Just kind for, of for you. Somebody I'm sure had to build some bus stops. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> awesome. So you had your, that's where Ricky's uh, legal experience kicks yeah, exactly. in. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So well, I don't know about nice, but uh, so switching over to the, the COVID side of things, COVID kicked in I don't know, depending on when you're, I don't know when you were, affected by it. People could be in December, could be January, could be March, but how has COVID affected your, your business? Well, us personally, we've been lucky when uh, the whole COVID uh, situation hit. With me, with our business, if we have about 100 people working for us, I feel responsible for all those 100 people. And these 100 people, these are their primary income. They're their household's primary income. So it always bugs me or that I'm responsible basically for about 300 people. If the average uh, person has a family of three, I'm responsible for everybody. So March 15th, we sent everybody home and I started coming in extra early and I got to work uh, finding customers, talking to people while uh, everybody else was running around uh, the sky is falling. 
we we got to work and we were lucky enough that we did not have to lay off anybody and everybody stayed and now as we're coming out of covid we've actually hired people because we are busier than we were before just because we got to work instead of uh, just being scared that uh, we're going to die because we had to we had to work uh, in terms of transportation as a whole uh, trucking was an essential service so everybody kept rolling but the biggest issue was that um, for example if we need to pick up some apples down in california before uh, we we take a shipment of paper down to california deliver the paper bring back the apples but now the paper mills were closed so these trucks were going empty down to california picking up the apples and bringing them back because apples have to come you had the contracts uh, but the rates couldn't change because uh, the final consumer, like all of us, if we went to the store during COVID and the prices of apples went up, people would go crazy. Right. So all these empty miles, there was a cost to it. So that's where trucking was affected because the empty miles. So that's super interesting because I, I didn't consider that when I was writing out this question or thinking about it. I would have, I thought you were going to say something to the effect of, because traffic had basically dropped off, the trucks were moving faster and more efficiently. But I didn't consider that uh, some of them are running now empty because of whatever the freight was, was not deemed essential or the, the, wherever it was going was closed down. So it, even with the traffic moving faster and the border lines faster, it still was a, a, a negative or a, a sort of a lost position from normal? Yeah, so borders were uh, open for truckers, but they had reduced staff at, at the border. So not, it's not like we were getting through faster. Reduced staff, instead of uh, three lanes being open, one lane was open for the truckers. Right. So nothing, yeah, there was a little bit of less traffic, but that doesn't really uh, change much. Wow. And so I've, I've read a few um, news stories about truckers nervous about heading into the U.S., Canadian truckers heading into the U.S. just based on what's going on down in the U.S. Um, is that a problem or something you guys have, have faced with your, with your team? Uh, we were lucky. Our guys kept running. We had two, three, uh, we have two or three older guys uh, who, who are driving. And yeah, they parked their trucks, understandably, because they are higher risk. Higher risk yeah. uh, but uh, our guys kept moving. Huh. And they weren't they, like, there was no concern of truck stops were closed at some point where I remember like, your truck, truck drivers had nowhere to stop, nowhere to get food. Mo most I, of the restaurants were drive, drive through only, and you're not bringing your big rig through McDonald's drive through. Like were, were any of those things like big problems for them? So with my guys, our drivers, we, uh, we talked to them and they were scared that they don't know what's going to happen. And they felt lucky that they were still working, working. And I would say everything good, you guys, everything going fine? Yeah, great. And we just kept rolling. We didn't get into details. Uh, my job is to get them work and their job is to get it done. And we understood that and we just pushed through. My job is to, uh, one of my jobs is to reduce liability. So, um, That's because you're the lawyer in the family. Exactly, unfortunately, yeah. Uh, to my brother's uh, chagrin there. And uh, so, we tried to put in as many procedures as we could, um, getting the truck sanitized, giving the driver sanitizer, getting them gloves, trying to change our, instead of getting uh, paperwork signed by wherever you're going, 
to uh, deliver or pick up. We just get their names. I'm just trying to ch change as many procedures as we can, so there's as much uh, distancing and as less interaction as required. Right. And so, is is work from home a thing in your business? I know, obviously, like you guys have a headquarters and, a, and an office and, and a team there. Did that? Were are, how are those people affected? Uh, so March 15th, we sent everybody home. Uh, even before that, uh, when I moved back to Vancouver, I wanted to work from home as much as I could. So I, will, I moved a lot of our systems uh, into the cloud, including our phone system. And uh, so we were, that day we decided to go home, we picked up our stuff, or the staff did, picked up their laptops, went home, and started working right away. So we were fine. Uh, the only difference is when in anywhere, when you're working together in the same office as a team, you hear things and you help each other out. Um, we miss that. So whenever we, as soon as we could, we brought everybody back. Gotcha. So for those out there in, in zoom land and there's a, there's a whole bunch of you in the Facebook world and a couple of questions have popped in. If you guys have any questions, throw them into the zoom chat or the um, Facebook chat. But um, so, Prob Ricky, uh, going forward, what what is the future of trucking slash freight logistics? What does that look like? Um, <clears throat> automation, I would think, um, as uh, drivers are, as Prab alluded to, harder and harder to find. Um, I feel as though um, automation is the next big thing. Um, basically, uh, self-driving trucks and. Um, some articles I've read, uh, sort of my thoughts would be um, these uh, automatic trucks would go to hubs outside of major cities. They'd go in between these major hubs and um, then you'd have um, people-driven trucks sort of doing the regional trucking. like to negotiate the city driving. Exactly. Like if we have the main hub in Hope or Chilliwack, our, our, the driver, the trucks with the people driving pick up and do all deliver in Richmond, Vancouver, Surrey, wherever it is. Right. And so do you think Tesla's, it sounds like Tesla's automated trucks are, uh, and whoever else is working on, there's a few companies working on them. Those are exciting to you, not concerning for you. Oh, absolutely. Um, one of the, like perhaps mentioning, one of the challenges is getting drivers. So if we can move a widget from A to B without sort of the biggest hurdle, that, that's going to help. And it's not as though in other industries where you're taking people out of work, people don't want to do this work. Yeah, that makes it hard. What, what uh, do, do you know? I, don't, I, don't, I only know a, a little bit about uh, Tesla's automated truck. The, the one I saw, it looks pretty sweet. Do you guys know, um, or if, if they come out with it at some point soon, are you, are you prepared or wanting to like put in an order for some of these trucks or you'd wait and see, let a few other companies try them out first or how, how fast are you to jump in if Tesla starts offering that uh, or when Tesla starts offering that truck? Um, we, we would, based on our like sort of, we only stay in BC, Washington, um, our application, we wouldn't need them right away. We'd wait to get the kinks out, the big guys, the big, big, like 500 truck companies like in the US, the Walmarts of the world and all those guys, they can um, play around with them. And then when they're a bit more polished, I think is when we'd uh, go at them. Right. 
All right, so I, I've got um, a handful of questions that have come in from the people that are um, watching. They're, they're kind of a little bit all over the place, so I'll, uh, I'll ask you them as best I can in order. But uh, Patrick Lee here on Facebook, he says, first and last mile transport uh, really does make or break a product or service with the myriad variables involved with every move and ever-changing government regulations knowledge experience count for a lot so this is not even a question they just he's just saying nice things this is full respect to ricky and prob um so thanks for that patrick thank you the uh what here's another one what incentives are being put in place to electrify trucking outside i guess we just talked about tesla are there do you guys know are there other options out there N nothing that is uh, has become uh, made readily apparent to anyone. Um, I personally really like the electric trucks because a brand new regular internal combustion truck is a very bad machine nowadays. There's been so many regulations; it has to be zero emissions and all the uh, zero emissions, um, burn less fuel, which are all good things. But the these were mandated to be done within a few years. And quite honestly, now um, the trucks, the machinery that's coming out, they're hunks of junk. <laughs> and the warranty is the biggest thing in the world. Whereas these Tesla trucks, there's barely any parts in them. There, uh, there's there's an electric motor at each axle. And if that goes bad, you put a new electric axle in, you're good to go. And so that's sort of really exciting. But as far as incentives and whatnot, not really. There's not much buzz around any sort of circles, at least that we're a part of. And in general, the government and what we found, they, trucking transportation, not a big deal for them. Even uh, we, we've talked about uh, automation and all that. Today, we had an incident where we had to send a letter to Canada Customs at the border and we called, asked for their email address, and they asked us to fax it. And we said, fax it? And they're like, yeah, we'll fax it over to us, and when we can, we'll fax it back to you. That's how far behind things are. What's a, what's a fax? I was kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, yeah, that's terrible. Um, can't be fax machines. We don't even actually own a fax machine. I don't Our know who does. Done through emails. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know who does. Um, so a question came in here. It says, uh, who are your Canadian customers? Like, I, like what, what types of companies are these big companies, small companies? Are they, is it, how does it work? I know you mentioned a bit about the, the, the crosstalk side, but who, like, what's your, what's the normal, what, what kind of companies you guys deal with? We have, we deal with all sorts. It could be, um, just a guy who works out of his basement, who does some uh, importing, exporting. And we have uh, big, huge uh, customers who have uh, huge towers in Chicago. So there's a wide range because everything around us, transportation brought. So there's a lot of people involved in transportation and there's a wide degree of type of customer as well. Right. And so is there a certain type of products that you do or do not transport? Like you talked about apples and paper, which is obviously a big difference in how those are transported and timing and heat and, you know, I don't know the, the time they're allowed to be in a truck, but 
are there, what are the, the normal, is there, is there a normal type of thing that you, you, you transport? Nope. So, so with our own assets, we, we call ourselves a general freight carrier. We'll pretty much move anything. Apples, we wouldn't because uh, we, our own assets, we don't have uh, temperature controlled equipment, but we can get apples moved. We can get whatever you want moved, uh, big or small. Basically, the only thing we don't really touch is um, like bulk aggregates, meaning like gravel and dirt and the, that type of stuff. It's probably the only, and uh, personal effects. Besides that, um, we could move, we, we move anything. Can you, so a couple of random questions. Can you move like live animals? Can you, can you move, obviously you can move massive machines that require wires and stuff to be cut, but like are live animals a thing you can move? Someone wants to move a whole bunch of, I don't know, horses or something. We can make arrangements, yes. Really? We've, we've moved the uh, carcasses of animals. but well, that, we kind, that kind of counts. Yeah, we haven't had a chance to move uh, live animals yet. Gotcha. Um, so this question came in from uh, Aiden, Aiden Sullivan right there. Prob talked about being asset light. Do you own all the trucks or you do, work with, do you work with individual owners and subcontractors? We're both. We, uh, we have our own trucks as well, which we own and we employ drivers uh, for them. And we also have uh, guys who join us uh, who own their own trucks, but they fly our colors. Uh, they're insured under our name. Uh, yeah, so we do both. I've got, I think we've got time for a couple more here. The... Um... This one's pretty bold. Uh, the, it says the U.S. is a complete mess. What precautions are you and your drivers taking to keep Canadians safe? So you kind of mentioned that, Ricky, earlier about the the gloves and the cleaning of the trucks and all that. Is that is that the kind of stuff that is go forward? Is there more stuff coming? Is there precautions on on how they deal at truck stops and the like? Yeah, no, it's just uh, the the same things that most people do, the social distancing, same thing you do when you go to a restaurant, you keep your distance. Uh, our drivers uh, have been um, instructed, trained to um, not to um, hand over pay paperwork, like make the notes yourself. Like when something gets delivered, you're supposed to get it signed from the person you're delivering it to. We've got a different process for that. Uh, we have no like tablets going back and forth. So it's mostly... Um, the, the standard sort of procedures as much as um, it's possible. Like when a guy has to go fuel, we have to trust that he'll follow not only common sense of washing your hands, but sort of our extra instructions that we've given him wear gloves. We've, we've given hand sanitizer out. So it's, it's just a general practice. I've got three final questions. They're a bit sort of on the um, more unique end of the, well, I guess two of them are, the first one here is just, you mentioned fuel. How much, like is, is when a trucker fills up with fuel, is it the same as diesel at a normal gas station or are there, when they go to those, um, I guess they're asking to go to those truck um, fuel stations, is it, is it a different cost or different world in how the it, fuel works? We get a bulk discount. So we have our cards and we, the bigger the company, the cheaper the diesel form. That's those card locks where you've, you've essentially prepaid or guaranteed a certain revenue or leader purchase? Right. Gotcha. It, 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 it gets measured in each truck when you fill it up, you go how many hundreds of 
liters or even how many hundreds of gallons are going in it. So it's, it's just about the bulk. Yeah. And who, who pays for that? You guys or the truck driver? Uh, it depends how you work out your rates with us. Our drivers uh, get paid for the fuel and, but because they're using our fuel cards, we, we take it away from them as well. Is we deduct it off their checks. Fuel spillage a thing where fuel finds its way into other people's vehicles? Uh, it, it definitely happens, yes. But because of uh, all the automation and stuff, uh, we keep track of uh, things like this truck is burning so much fuel per mile, and suddenly if there's a spike, we catch it right away. And uh, also just the physical uh, infrastructure, the, the trucks, fill stations, um, diesel filler uh, nozzles don't fit in most uh, vehicles. Gotcha. Um, so two, two more have popped in on top of my last two. I'm going to try and squeeze them in here. Um, do you cooperate with competitors or kind of fight with them? Fight with them. You don't, if there's something big that a competitor could help with or whatever, you just, you would, you would find somebody else? Uh, if we hire, a comp just the way our business is, if we hire a competitor to do something that they could do, we will get backdoored. Backdoored meaning what? They'll, you won't get the, the business? The next time uh, they'll go, well, they'll make contact with the customer and go direct. Uh, go direct. It is unbelievably cutthroat. Like if, if you were even to like whisper who you're dealing with at a certain uh, customer, next day they will be there. Wow. Interesting. So this question is three, three words. It just says craziest truck story, question mark. <laughs> what do you got? <sighs> craziest uh that's the one i mentioned where we took out the bus stop that was uh, fun uh, we were uh, involved with a um a transformer move um and transformers these are like hundreds of thousands of pounds we haven't co gotten up to that level but i was involved in this move and um it had to go down um boundary towards marine marine way and a regular truck on the road the total weight is probably just under 100,000 pounds. This total weight was probably about 400, 500,000 pounds going down a very steep hill. So there's a, an extra, extra large truck pulling the freight down this transformer down the hill. There were four trucks chained behind the freight, hitting their brakes while going down and pulling the freight back. So it doesn't, you don't have, a million tons going down a hill that just um, sort of engineering sort of um, like trucking marvels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So final, uh, final ish question I've, I've had, I've stuck another one here, but uh, this one is came in earlier. Do truckers live in their trucks when they're on the move? Is that, the, is that where they sleep? There's that, there's that bunk thing in the back. So it depends on uh, the run they're doing. So our guys, uh, they work in town, they go to Seattle, Portland, they make it back in time to go home. But guys who are running across Canada, yeah, they sleep in the truck. Wow, and is the, I've never been inside of a big rig truck. Is it, is it 
kind of set up like a like a motorhome. They've got, I don't know, yep, water yep. and bathroom and some d depends on if they're really into it. They've got like cooktops. Everyone has a fridge now. Um, not so much running water, but they've got like um, systems for water, air conditioned. Uh, I've seen fireplaces. All, everyone's got a TV in it. It's sort of as uh, creative and as much of the guy wants to do. But they have to watch it, not uh, put too much in there because uh, it'll add weight. And when you add weight, uh, you burn more diesel and you might not be able to pick up uh, that extra amount of freight. Right. All right. So we're, we're almost out of time here. Do you guys, would you guys suggest people to get into the trucking business as a trucker, which I feel like I know the answer and into the trucking business on your level of the bill of just owning the business and the, the, the freight um, logistics, all of that. Is that, do you, would you do it again? Do you think people should get into it? Is it, what do you think? If we can get a better quality of a trucker, like a truck driver, uh, this industry would be way better and, uh, nobody wants to be a trucker cause it's not prestigious, but we have guys who own two, three homes, uh, own two Teslas and they're doing well and we see their paychecks. They're doing great. Uh, so being a trucker, it, it could be fun, especially a young guy coming out of school, you, you jump in a truck, you drive across North America, you see places you would not readily see, uh, it'd be fun. And in terms of uh, what we do, it's tough because you need to trust a lot of people in your office. And like you mentioned before, everybody's looking to go out on their own. Uh, I've personally been lucky because I came in, my dad, my dad was running the company and I was the second guy. And Ricky came in, he's the third guy. And I think our success has come because there's three of us and we don't have to look over our backs. We got, we trust each other and we're pushing forward together. And are you guys in it for the long haul, as they would say? <laughs> yeah, I'm not going anywhere. Um, no, we'll see. Um, I really enjoy sort of the freight handling all their like picking, like a, I've got my crane operator's license. So I'm sort of like, I'm on, I'm trying to be on the ground, not in my office as much as I can. So um, it just depends on how the market goes and um, whatever opportunities are out there. Awesome. This has been, uh, this has been great guys. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Thanks, Steve, Rob yeah. and Ricky Good. for doing this. Thank you very much. If people wanted to contact you, how would they go about doing that? What would be the best way? What's the website address or website? Uh, LotusTerminals.com. We're also on Facebook and uh, yeah, we're pretty easy to find. Just Google us. Or pop by a Vancouver College football game and show up at the hot dog stand that is the oh, big that. Lotus Terminals <laughs> truck. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, whenever those games start again, hopefully soon. Cool. Awesome. Thank you guys very much. Thanks everybody for joining us. We do these webinars every Wednesday and um, they're on Zoom and on Facebook. Thank you very much and have a good night. Thanks very much. Thank you.